Well, I need to ask uh, your forgiveness here this morning. I mean, normally at the beginning of the service, I introduce myself. And so since I failed to do that earlier, I, I probably should introduce myself again now. My name is Scott Reevely. I'm the son of Neil, the son of Gordon, the son of Edward, the son of George, the son of Walter, the son of Theophilus. Is that all? <laughs> yeah, that didn't tell you anything, did it? I, I, I introduced myself with a genealogy, and everyone goes, yawn. I want to say that that isn't how it goes in the book of Matthew. I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And funny thing, Matthew introduces Jesus with a gene- genealogy. But as he does that, he makes it clear that this is about someone who is totally unique. And using that genealogy, unlike mine, mine probably obscured anything interesting about me. But the genealogy about Jesus unveils the character of the person Matthew intends to introduce. And so... uh, We'll read through it, and then we'll go back and pick up some highlights in uh, this uh, introduction to the person of Jesus. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Tamar, or Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nation, Nation, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Ruth, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, by Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. I hope you appreciate I'm reading all of these names for you. Uh, That's... uh, uh, I'm rising to the challenge, shall I say. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, all the generations, from Abraham to David, 
were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And there you have Matthew's introduction to Jesus. I think you have to ask the question, why? Why start with a genealogy? And, and I ask the reason why, because I think we have this vision or this sort of thought in our head about how Scripture came to be. And we think that, well, you know, somebody sat down at their scribe's desk and just wrote whatever came to mind. Just, hey, here's a story about a leper. And hey, here's another story about a demon-possessed person. And, you know, we'll just, whatever random ideas come to mind, we'll just put them down and we'll call that good. I want you to recognize, though, that's not what Matthew did. Matthew was very deliberate about the way that he constructed the introduction to the person of Jesus so that we would have what we need to fully believe and fully embrace this person of Jesus. He wanted this genealogy to slowly pull the curtain back in, uh, to the character of Jesus, to unveil all that Jesus is and means to the people who meet him in this gospel. And so he begins by highlighting for us that Jesus is the pinnacle of all that God is doing in the world. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew sat down to introduce us to Jesus. The first thing you need to notice about Jesus <laughs> is not his last name. The first thing you need to notice about Jesus is that he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the anointed one. The one on whom the hope of Israel rests. And we're, what, seven words in. Matthew is introducing us to the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who sits in the line of the kings and the priests, the one who will bring about the redemption of Israel and the salvation of God's people. That's who Jesus is. He is the son of David. Again, I, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's only in my mind, right, that the scriptures just sort of came to be. He is the son of David, the thing, the central leading edge of what Matthew wants us to know about Jesus is that he stands in the line of David. And so whatever you're going to think about Jesus, you must recognize him as a king. Because he is in 
the succession to the throne of David. David, of course, was the king at the high point of the nation of Israel. It was David who, had, who was a man after God's heart. It was David to whom God made the promise that his descendants would always be on the throne. Here, here's what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. Okay, the steadfast love is, uh, tr again, translates the word that we looked at in Lamentations, chesed, which is God's covenant affection, his promise to love. And it's a word that has both resolve and affection in it, and he's not going to take that from the house of David. In fact, your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Again, we're just a few words in and we have a problem. Because we have just read about the deportation to Babylon. The deportation to Babylon appears to be the uh, evaporation of this promise. It appears to be the fact that God somehow has forgotten his people. That somehow God is letting his people down because that king is no longer king. Because now they're in exile in Babylon. But what Matthew is doing here in this introduction is he is resurrecting that promise. He is pulling it back up to actually the lead idea. To say, here you go. I am introducing to you someone who will stand on the throne or sit on the throne of David forever. And so, Israel, people of God, you need to know God, is God has not forgotten His promise. God is still intent on bringing about this reign of God in the world through His King. That is the son of David. But he doesn't stop there. Then he says, the son of Abraham. The son of Abraham. And he pulls Jesus back to David, then he pulls him back to Abraham so that we know that what God was doing throughout all of history in the people of Israel, okay, not just since David, but all of Israel's history, was coming to this moment when this son of Abraham would be introduced. Now, the son of Abraham is important because the promise to Abraham is a promise about a son. It's a promise about a seed here in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And what Matthew does here in the first verse is open for us now the, the world. Yes, there's going to be a king on Israel's throne, the son of David, but now this promise to Abraham to bless the world is going to come to fruition because of the Christ, namely the person of Jesus. And so it's no small matter, and it's no accident that these are the two handles he gives us as he introduces us to Jesus. He continues on, because this promise, uh, I, I didn't show you the whole promise there to uh, Abram, but it was a promise of a seed or a son. And here as he recounts this for us, right? Abraham was a father of Isaac. Maybe you remember Isaac. The world remembers Isaac. Isaac, uh, Abraham going to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son and his son willingly presenting himself as a sacrifice the lead idea here in Matthew, that we are to not miss that whoever this Jesus is, there's probably a chance that he's going to present himself as a willing sacrifice. And not only that, the whole reference to Isaac reminds us. Yes, and then God brought a substitute in. And so these kinds of colors are all supposed to, we're, we're supposed to, Meditate on this and realize there is all kinds of stuff here that reveals the character of Jesus so that you and I can embrace him as we are introduced to him. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, I'm not going to go name by name, but I want you to recognize that Jesus is the culmination of all that God has been doing in uh, history as he has um, brought, uh, cultivated his people through Abraham and brought a king, David, and now is keeping the promises he made to Abraham and David. I also want you to, to know, as Jesus is unveiled, I want you to notice that Jesus is for the world. One of the things that, Abra that Matthew wants us to not miss is the fact that Jesus is not the propriety of a small band of uh, exiles. He is for the world. And I think the first communication of that is even in the name Abraham. Abraham was a Gentile. Abraham was a foreigner called by God to be the father of the faithful. And so he highlights Abraham, but then, as we're reading through here in verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab, too, was an outsider, perhaps about as outside as you could get. She lived in Jericho. She not only uh, had nothing to do with Israel, she belonged to the enemy of God's people. Yet she had heard of all that Yahweh had done as he delivered people from 
his people from Egypt. And so she listened and her heart turned and said, tell you what, I will, <laughs> I will take care of you, you take care of me, because I believe the God of Israel is the real, true God. And she converted and joined God's people. She did that as a Gentile. And we're to notice, that, see, I'm, I'm highlighting really some of the women because the women, uh, are the, those are the names you wouldn't expect in this genealogy. These are the names that, uh, you know, an ancient genealogy would not have had the moms in it, generally. And so the fact that they're included, uh, they're included for a reason. And so I think that Rahab's included because she's an outsider. Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Ruth, I think, is included because she's an outsider. She, too, is she's a Moabite. Uh, Moab was an enemy of Israel, so much so that any Moabite that converted their descendants for ten generations were not permitted to be in the temple because of how awful they had been to God's people. Ruth is an outsider, brought in by faith into this line of Jesus. Which again leads me to what Matthew is trying to do in this book. He is trying to say without any hesitation, Jesus is for the world. Jesus is for the nations. Jesus is for the stranger and the exile and the immigrant. Jesus is for the people who are not like us. He is for the nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is how he ends. Teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you and behold I am with you always even to the end of the age. He ends his letter, his, his gospel, the same way he begins his gospel, by reminding us that Jesus is for the world. Jesus is not merely for your own private spirituality. Jesus is for the world. The next thing I think he does here in this genealogy really in the same way as he communicates that Jesus is for sinners. Jesus is for sinners. As he unveils the character of Jesus, he wants us not to miss this part. Look at verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, you have to recognize this that he is not cherry-picking the best stories in the history of Israel to include in the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, that's what I do. I would love for you to think that, you know, uh, George and Edward and Walter and Gordon, all those guys were saints. Theophilus, maybe, because that, that name means lover of God. But I want you to think that so that maybe somehow I got that gene, right? There's no attempt like that at all in Jesus' uh, genealogy. He has not shied away from the dirt. In fact, this story of Tamar, 
in my humble opinion, that might be the worst episode in the whole Old Testament. I mean, there are some bad ones, but maybe none worse than this. And yet, we're, we're only in the third verse in our introduction to Jesus, and we get uh, Tamar. Now, that, I mean, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but uh, Tamar was an outsider too, betrayed by her family multiple times, Judah included. Judah then, at the, after the death of his wife, goes into someone he thinks is a prostitute. Turns out it's his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And she bears um, Perez and Zerah. And it's just awful. And why? Why get into that? Three verses in. If Matthew did not want you to know Jesus is for people like that. Jesus is for sinners. Already, we already looked at verse 5. Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. I didn't say <laughs> what the rest of Scripture says about Rahab, did I? She was a prostitute. Not only did she belong to the enemies of God, she was a prostitute who by faith turned to Yahweh. Because Jesus is for sinners. Matthew wants to communicate that clearly. Matthew has 14 kings in this list. Of the 14 kings in the list, eight of them have this summary statement at the end of their biographies in the Old Testament. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. I'm just going to say, leave them out. He leaves some people out. You need to know he leaves some people out here. We got long periods of time, there are 14 generations, and he leaves people out. And that's not a problem because the same way you'd say uh, that so and so was the father of so and so, you could say that about a direct son, you could say that about a great grandson. And that'd be how you describe either one. It's not a problem. But if you're going to leave some people out, how about you leave these out? Except that Matthew says, no, that's not who Jesus is. That's not what this is about. This is about God-loving sinners and Jesus rescuing sinners. And you must be introduced to him right away. Oh, then we got this. Yeah, I was going to skip this. David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. Okay, maybe Tamar's not the worst story in the Old Testament. Maybe it's the story about the wife of Uriah, who is unnamed here, right, Bathsheba? David takes her, commits adultery, then commits murder. It is such an embarrassing episode in the history of Israel. She's not even named and Matthew says, we're including her anyway. 
We're not embarrassed by sinners who are connected to Jesus. And so he invites us to trust that Jesus is for sinners. And so you have the fact that Jesus is for sinners. And then, where am I here? Oh, there we go. I want you to know that Jesus is for the nations and that Jesus is for sinners. And Matthew, I think Matthew wants you to know that. that that's who he is in unveiling here. Okay? The other thing that he's unveiling is that um, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Word of God. That Jesus shows up throughout the Bible. That you cannot miss Jesus when you're reading the Bible. So here, here are some of the hints, right? And I, I think that's what these are, okay? I think what, what uh, I don't know if you're familiar with what an Easter egg is. Some of you probably are. There, I mean, you watch a video of the Easter eggs in your favorite Disney movies or whatever. I don't recommend you do that. But an Easter egg is something that not everybody notices. But when you notice it, you go, aha, that's kind of interesting. Oh, that's fun. Oh, that's cool. And that's what's happening in the genealogy. There's some Easter eggs hidden here for us. The first one is in the first verse. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Or, I could literally translate this, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. The book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. In fact, the book of the genealogy, this very phrase, the book of the genealogy, is used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, to say, here is the genesis of the heavens and the earth. Here is the, the book of the genealogy of the heaven and the earth. And Matthew pulls that phrase out to say, Jesus, you need to know, is there on page 1. Jesus is there in the beginning. In Genesis. And then... He does this. He goes, verse 7, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, father of Abijah. We're all kind of asleep by this time. And he says, Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And all of us missed it, didn't we? Because, it, and no, I'm going to say, before I say we missed it, you have to know. Everyone would know this. This is a list of the kings of Israel. Everyone would know it. It's like you have to learn the presidents in third grade or whatever, sixth grade. They had to learn the kings. They're in the Bible after all. And you need to know, Asaph is not one of them. And yet, boom, here he is. Asaph 
Asa is a king who should be between Abijah and Jehoshaphat. Why add the th at the end? Why Asaph instead of Asa? Well, some of you heard the name Asaph before probably. Asaph wrote several psalms, didn't he? And I think this is one of those Easter eggs where you're just like, oh, everyone would have known as Asa. And Matthew kind of winks at us and says, Asaph. And we're supposed to say, what? Yeah, because Jesus fulfills the Psalms. Jesus is there in the writings, in the poetry. Try this. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. Okay, by then, this is verse 10. We're probably doing the same thing again. Have sleep. One of these people is not like the others. Okay, all of these people are kings. Except for Amos. Why is Amos here? Well, it should go Manasseh, Amon, Josiah. And he takes a little liberty and says, Amos. Everyone knows it's Amon. It's not like, oh, this is terrible. It's like, here's an Easter egg. I want you to know that Jesus is in the prophets. That the prophets are all about Jesus. This Jesus I'm introducing to you is all over your Old Testament. In the Pentateuch, in the writings, in the prophets. You can't miss him if you're looking for him. And just in case you did, I'm going to unveil him here in my gospel. Because Jesus is for the world, he's for the sinners, and he is the culmination of all God is doing through his people in the world. Even as I say that, okay, Matthew cares about this. You know, maybe from the Christmas story, right? And, uh, oh, the wise men, they come, and Herod gets mad, he's going to kill the baby, so Joseph takes Jesus down to Egypt, okay? And then they come back. Why does he do that? Well, I should save some for next week. But I'd have to tell you. So that Abraham, so that Matthew can tell us. Out of Egypt, I called my son. What's that about? That's about us as readers noticing that whole Exodus thing, that whole deliverance from Egypt. The Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, this amazing, miraculous statement that God is God above all gods and he saves his people. You need to, you need to know Jesus in order to really know what that's about. And all throughout his gospel, he does this for us, not just here in the genealogy. So that we recognize Jesus as the absolute pinnacle of God's revelation of himself through history and through his work among his people. 
Well, that gets us here really to the end of the genealogy. I'm sure there's other things we could talk about, but I want to make sure that you see this because, again, if you're just reading this through, your mind is probably just, the father of the father of the father, and you're starting to get in a rhythm. Okay, let's look at, I'm going to start at verse 15 then. Eliezer, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, same as it's always been, the father of blah, blah, blah. And then he says, father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Now, I don't, I, I don't want you to miss, I don't want you to miss the change in the cadence. I don't want you to miss the change that Matthew intentionally does so that we know this is different. This is different. Whatever happened with all those other guys, the father of this person, the father of this person, the father of this, that is not what's happening here with Joseph. Joseph, it does not say, is the father of Jesus. It says he was the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. Now, we're going to talk about that next week, so I'm not going to say much more about that, except I wanted you to notice that that's how he gets to his point. He gets to his point, and the point is that this, I'm going to introduce to you Jesus, and he is called Christ. He is this Messiah, this Deliverer, this Anointed One, this King, this Priest, the One for whom you have been waiting, and He's here, and He came about through, this, through Abraham's line, through David's line. But whatever relationship He had with Joseph was different. You have to come back next week to see that. But it all results in the fact that He is the Christ. Now, that's his point. He brings us to his summary. So, all the generations of Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Again, it can't not help but point out to you that he is saying, I am introducing to you the Messiah that you have waited for. The Roman rule that has oppressed you. I'm sending you a Messiah as a deliverer. The poverty that you have been uh, under and the harsh uh, public leadership you have been on. I am sending you a king to right these wrongs. I am sending you the Christ. Now I mentioned earlier that the 14s skip a few generations to get a nice clean 14. Uh, the 14s do a couple things. Uh, some and every, every commentator guesses at why the 14s. Some say it's easy to remember 14, 14, 14. Okay, that's convenient. But most of these you'd want to forget, I think. So I don't know that that's the reason. The number 14 is, uh, if you were going to convert that to letters, 
it would spell David. But we would miss that, of course, in English. I don't... I think the simplest way to look at this, 14, 14, 14, is to say what he does here is he wants to emphasize this whole arc of history that brings us to the Christ. He starts off with Abraham as a foreigner, an exile, an outsider, and brings us to the high point of the history of Israel, David. But then, in an understated way, he says, Except the Solomon, the wife of you know, through the wife of Uriah, and then the descent begins until the deportation of Babylon to Babylon, which is at the very bottom. And then we have this 14 generation waiting period where there's no hope, where there's no Messiah, where there's no promise, where there's no, nothing that appears hopeful at all until Matthew comes along and says, this is the genesis of Jesus the Messiah. Let me tell you about your deliverer. And he comes to the end of the final 14 to say, now here is the Christ. And so we're, <laughs> we're brought into Matthew's view of the world to say, here is Jesus, the Messiah. Here are reasons you should trust Him. He is the fulfillment of God's work in the world. He is for the nations. He is for sinners. He fulfills God's Word. And He is the Messiah. Another way that you would look, even at verse 17 here, is to say there is an Abrahamic covenant, a promise that God made to his people through Abraham. Jesus fulfills that promise. There is a Davidic covenant, a promise that God made to David. Jesus fulfills that promise. There is still another covenant, that we call the New Covenant. Jesus fulfills the New Covenant. That New Covenant where God says, I will take out their heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh, I will forgive their sins, they will be my people and I will be their God. How's that happen? Because of the Christ. 